Welcome to the Taste and See podcast, a place where we can discuss our experiences in the kingdom of God and discover how we can impact the world around us, thereby being the salt and light of the earth. Here is your host, Josh Emmerich. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Taste and See podcast. I am so glad that you are able to join me today. If you are new with us and this is your first time listening, the Taste and See podcast is a kingdom-based podcast that exists to encourage saints, empower believers, and reach the lost with the goodness of God. Psalm 34, 8 states, Taste and see that the Lord is good. To taste is to experience, while to see is all about perception and discernment. I pray that as we journey together more deeply into God's kingdom, that the Holy Spirit would reveal the people, situations, and world around you through his eyes. It is my hope that as we explore different aspects of our life, whether it be marriage, dating, money, or our own spiritual walk, that we would be able to approach life with a renewed and fresh outlook and perspective from the Holy Spirit and the goodness of God. This week, we're going to be diving into the theme of victorious kingdom living, that is, walking in victory daily despite the hardships and battles that often surround us. How can we live victoriously, knowing we are humans with a sinful nature? How can we walk with our heads held high, holding firm, while our enemies surround us shooting arrows from every direction? How are we supposed to feel victory when we constantly feel weighed down and attacked? These questions are so important, and they are valid. I hope that our discussion today will shed God's light in dark places, and that we will emerge from this conversation empowered, encouraged, and emboldened. I first started thinking of this subject of victorious living after a men's group I attended last week. For the past month, we have been reading and discussing a new book from Louis Giglio called Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. The whole premise of the book surrounds Psalm 23 and Jesus being a good shepherd and God preparing a table, this intimate setting to relate with him, in the midst of our enemies. In other words, how are we supposed to cling to God in the midst of attacks from the enemy? How do we win the battle over our minds? The book has been truly eye-opening, phenomenal, and one of the best books on overcoming anxiety and negative thoughts that I have ever read. I highly recommend you pick it up on Amazon or any retailers around you that sell Christian books. You can also go to www.amazon.com don't give the enemy.com to sign up for a free seven day devotional from Louie called Win the War on Worry. Anyway, as I was sitting with this group of men last week, we read a passage of scripture from Philippians 3. Here, Paul writes to the church in Philippi I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Here, we see Paul talk about Jesus' death and resurrection. However, he goes even further saying that he doesn't just want to know Jesus, his death, and his resurrection. He wants to experience it. If you're like me, the first time you read this passage of scripture, it stops you right in your tracks. Sure, Jesus dying on the cross for my sins and being raised from the dead makes me feel all warm and good inside, but experiencing it myself? Why on earth would I want to do that? 
Why would I want to experience the pain and suffering Jesus endured? Are you nuts? But what does Paul really mean by sharing in Christ's death and resurrection? Let's read the same passage again, but in the Amplified Bible version. In this, so that I may know him, experientially, becoming more thoroughly acquainted with him, understanding the remarkable wonders of his person more completely, and in that same way experience the power of his resurrection, which overflows and is active in believers, and that I may share the fellowship of his sufferings by being continually conformed inwardly into his likeness even to his death, dying as he did, so that I may attain to the resurrection that will raise me from the dead. So, according to Paul, sharing in Jesus' death and resurrection is so much more than just experiencing suffering and resurrection. It's becoming more familiar with Jesus. It's understanding who he is. It's experiencing his power more and more in our lives. It is sharing in the hardships even he endured. It's moving more and more into the Imago Christi, the image of Christ, each and every day. And in the end, we will have not only experienced a spiritual resurrection within our lives, when Jesus returns to establish a new heaven and a new earth, we will experience a physical resurrection as well. Resurrection is a powerful subject, and we could go on and on for hours on the subject of resurrection alone. But I want to just address what resurrection meant to Paul. In Romans 8, verse 11, reread this, taken from the Message Translation. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself? When God lives and breathes in you, and he does, as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. Come on, somebody, that's cause for celebration. You were once dead, but by the grace of God and the work of Christ are now alive. And God dwells in you, breathes in you, and delivers you. And as resurrection in your life happens, the Holy Spirit takes residence in you. I don't know about you, but just talking about resurrection makes me want to get out of my seat and just dance around. But let's return to our original passage that we started this journey with. In Philippians. It is obvious that Paul already explained his desire to know Christ, and he further defines in the Romans 8 passage that we know Jesus more and more through our spiritual resurrection. This concept of to know in its original language is parallel to a union of a husband and wife. It was not Paul's aim to just know about Christ, but to know him and experience him on the most intimate, personal, level. But Paul said he wanted to know Jesus and the mighty power of his resurrection. So, if seeking this power was important to Paul, so important that he communicated it to the early church, then a deeper dive into the concept of resurrection power should be important to modern-day believers as well. After all, we are a constant continuation of the New Testament church. This concept of power, when we look at it under the original language it was written in, Koine Greek, is the word dunamis, which means power, might, strength, and ability. The root word of dunamis is 
dunamai, which means to be able and to can. By the way, did you know that dunamai is where we get the word dynamite from? So when we experience the resurrection of Christ in our lives and share in it, we don't just experience power. We experience this explosion of might and power that has the ability to break through even the toughest stones, the toughest walls, and the toughest obstacles. It is now clear just how strong resurrection power is, isn't it? Have you experienced resurrection power in your life? I know I have. I'm sure we could all sit together around a table and spend an eternity talking about how we have seen the resurrection power of God move in and through our lives. However, I want to focus today on three ways that I have seen God move in my life and the lives of others through resurrection power. I pray that you can testify to some of these or all of them. And if you can't, I pray that you would open yourself up further to the miracle-working, body-raising, way-making power of the Holy Spirit. So let's begin. First, the resurrection power of God creates a way when there seems to be no way. I remember when I walked through my first marriage and divorce and felt that since I couldn't keep a marriage intact, how could I ever keep a ministry intact or a church for that matter? I walked away from ministry, feeling like I was in a deep hole with no way out. There is someone else in scripture who found himself in a deep hole. Maybe you have heard of him. Joseph was one of Jacob's 12 children, and Joseph had a special gift, dreaming. He once dreamed that grain he planted would be favored over his brothers. Joseph was also his father's favorite. He presented him with a wonderful robe, and he would report the bad actions of his brothers to his father. No one likes a tattletale, especially brothers. So, Joseph's brother hatched a plan to take care of the problem. Let's dive into the story in Genesis 37, starting with verse 18. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty, there was no water in it. Then, just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. Then he went back to his brothers and lamented, 
The boy is gone. What will I do now? Then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in its blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said. It is my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt, where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. Wow. Talk about being in the wrong place in the wrong time and in circumstances beyond your control. Here we find Joseph thrown into an empty water tank and then sold as a slave to an Egyptian, all by his own family of brothers. The people he should have been able to trust the most hurt him the most. Maybe you can relate. But Joseph's story doesn't stop there. When he arrived in Egypt, he first served as a slave to Potiphar, who was the head of Pharaoh's security detail. Things started to look up for Joseph, despite being a slave. He earned the trust of his master and soon became his personal attendant in charge of the entire house and possessions. Joseph found favor when it was needed the most. But once again, Joseph would find himself again in another hole. Potiphar's wife began to look at Joseph lustfully and tried numerous times to get Joseph to sleep with her. But every time, Joseph resisted. Fed up with his constant resistance, Potiphar's wife falsely accused Joseph of trying to rape her, and this landed Joseph straight in prison. Talk about bad luck. Maybe you can relate. One day, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker both had two dreams with different meanings. They were not sure what they meant and they couldn't shake it. If only there was someone who had a gift of dreaming who could interpret them. Can you think of anyone? Me too. Here, Joseph enters the picture once again and he interprets the dreams of these two men. The cupbearer, grateful for Joseph's interpretation, promised to advocate for Joseph's release. Man, what an answer to prayer, right? However, the cupbearer forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Joseph went out of his way to help someone out, but they couldn't even follow up on their end of a promise. He gave and gave and got overlooked in return. Maybe you can relate. Two years pass and Joseph is still in prison. Then Pharaoh has dreams that he couldn't shake. Remembering what Joseph did for him, the cupbearer shared with Pharaoh how Joseph correctly interpreted his dream. Without missing a beat, Pharaoh sends for Joseph, who interprets his dreams, and Joseph gives God all the credit for his gift while doing so. Joseph is then made second in command over all of Egypt. Wow! Talk about a 180! Joseph, who was thrown in a pit and in prison, is now leader over one of the wealthiest and powerful nations on the planet. Talk about a resurrection. But we learn something else with Joseph's story as well. Learning that grain and food was available in Egypt, Jacob and his sons go there in search of it. And who does Jacob and his sons stumble upon? 
Joseph, commander of Egypt. My, how the tables have turned. Here is Joseph, face to face with his brothers once again. If I were in his shoes, I might be tempted to say, forget you. I'm not helping you. Do you even realize the harm and pain you caused me? Do you even know what it feels like to be a slave? Do you know what two years being in prison feels like? Forget your need for food. You can starve. In fact, let's throw you in prison to die while I am at it too. That will teach you to mess with the great and powerful Joseph. To some of us, that may be a valid response. To some of us, we would probably want to do the same. But get this, Joseph didn't. Instead, he gave them food for free, invited them for a feast in his palace, and eventually revealed who he was to them. Let's catch up in Genesis 45. Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, Out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him, and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please, come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset. And don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh the manager of his entire palace, and the governor of all Egypt. Now, hurry back to my father and tell him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made him master over all of the land of Egypt. So come down to me immediately. You can live in the region of Goshen, where you can be near me with all of your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and everything you own. I will take care of you there, for there are still five years of famine ahead of us. Otherwise, you, your household, and all your animals will starve. Then Joseph added, Look, you can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that I really am Joseph. Go tell my father of my honored position here in Egypt. Describe for him everything you have seen, and then bring my father here quickly. Weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin, and Benjamin did the same. Then Joseph kissed each of his brothers, and wept for them. And after that, they began talking freely with him. Just let this soak in for a moment. Joseph experienced resurrection. He experienced a way forward when there seemed to be no way. And he was presented with an opportunity to redeem himself. But he didn't. Instead, he chose to redeem his relationship with his brothers. Friends, the ultimate goal of resurrection power isn't just to benefit ourselves. It is meant to restore those around us as well. Even those broken and messy relationships we wish we didn't have to deal with. The ultimate goal of resurrection is restoration. God restoring us to himself. 
and restoring ourselves to others. My marriage did end, and I walked with the pain and embarrassment of that for years. But God made a way when there seemed to be no way. My declaration became the same as David, who declared in Psalm 77, verse 19, Your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters. A pathway no one knew was there. I got back in church. I heard the truth of the gospel for the first time in my life. I was filled with the Spirit. I remembered my calling. I enrolled in seminary. I married a woman who loves God more than me, yet loves me through my brokenness and encourages me to follow my call. And I found a church family that is now allowing me to serve and lead with all the giftings God could possibly give. My relationship with God was restored. My faith in marriage was restored. My calling was restored. Who I am in light of who God is was restored. Resurrection brings restoration. Second, resurrection power brings about spiritual freedom. In his second letter to the church in Corinth, Paul talks about our battle as Christians in this world. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 reads, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Remember, friends, Paul said that we would not just share in the resurrection of Christ, we would share in his suffering as well. I think we often forget that while Jesus was fully God, he was also fully human. While Jesus was without sin, he still wept. He was still faced with temptation, like we are faced with every day, but never fell into it. Jesus knew the bigger picture. His death and resurrection would break the chains of bondage for so many for those who would believe. Jesus specializes in transforming people living desperate lives into people living joy-filled lives of meaning and purpose. It is hard-pressed to find a better example of this than the life of Mary Magdalene. The first recorded mention of Mary is found in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his twelve disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. From this passage, three things are apparent. Mary was possessed by demons. Jesus intervened. Mary was freed. Being possessed by demons is no joke. According to New Testament accounts, people who were possessed by demons sometimes threw themselves into fire, had violent convulsions, thrashed on the ground, cried out, cut themselves, foamed at the mouth, were blind and could not speak. While we can't speak to what Mary might have experienced while she was possessed, we do know that she probably was broken and very hurt before Jesus found her. The one thing that we can speak to is the fact that Jesus gave her a new beginning. Jesus gave her a new life. I like how the television show The Chosen portrays Mary's response to Jesus' presence in her life. I was one way, and now I'm completely different. 
And the thing that happened in between was him. My friends, Jesus went to great lengths for Mary, and he went to great lengths for countless others. The Bible was filled with examples of him casting out demons, healing the lame, opening the eyes of the blind, and raising the dead. But he also went to great lengths for me, and he wants to go to great lengths for you. He wants to go to great lengths for others. He is always in the business of going to great lengths for those he loves, each and every one of us. He died, took the keys of the kingdom from hell, and has paved a way for us to fight and win the battle before us. So, suit up for battle each and every day against the dark forces of the enemy, for God is on our side. The beachhead has been established, and Jesus is in the front line of it. Lean into Jesus. Press into God and hear the Holy Spirit. Invite Jesus to move in and watch that dunamis power explode and crush every stronghold in your life. May you walk out of your spiritual prison, as Paul and Barnabas did, singing praises to God Most High. Invoke the name of God. Ask him to heal the sick. Ask him to free the demon-possessed. Ask him to break the chains of those in bondage. If he could do it then, he can do it now. Third, resurrection power equips us to win the battle of our minds. The last verse of the passage in 2 Corinthians that we read earlier is key. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. God created us in his image, in his likeness, and to have a mind like his. But from the very beginning, the devil has crept in to make sure that our minds are distracted from the mind and heart of God. It was the enemy who asked Eve, Did God really say? How many of you can relate to this? How often have you heard, does God really love you? Does God really want the best for you? Is God even real? Does God really show up when you need him the most? Does God even find you worthy anymore? I would need more than both my hands to count the number of times I have fallen victim to these statements, to these lies. Jesus himself was faced with such lies in Matthew 4 when he was tempted in the wilderness. Did God really say? Was the broken record sound bite that the enemy used over and over again with him. Jesus said in John 10.10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus came to overcome the enemy but he also came to give us life and have it to the full. The Greek word for full that is found in this proclamation from Jesus is perisos, which means more than sufficient, over and above, abundant and overflowing. Jesus doesn't want us to just have life. He wants us to have so much life that we don't know what to do with it, but overflow it to others. A life filled with the presence of God will overflow his presence to those around us. That is bringing heaven to earth. That is ushering in the kingdom and reign of God into every situation, circumstance, and yes, every single thought. But here's the best part of the story of Jesus' time in the wilderness facing the lies of the enemy. Jesus never gave in. He fought back with the word of God. The word of God made flesh fought back. And the same power that dwells in him dwells in us. 
So fight back. Use the word of God just as Christ did. In his book, Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table, Louis Giglio shares seven passages in truths of scripture that helped him speak the word of God to the enemy whenever he was faced with a lie. I would like to share them with you today. In fact, I encourage you to write them down. If you are listening in your car, then be sure to return to this episode later and write them down. Number one, God knows your name. God says in Isaiah 43.1, I have called you by name. You are mine. Number two, God goes before you. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Number three, you can do all things, not some, all things, through Christ who gives you strength. That's found in Philippians 4.13. Number four, your present sufferings pale in comparison to the future glory that God has stored up for you in your life. Paul says in Romans 8.18, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Number five, God says in Isaiah 54, 17, that no weapon formed against you will prosper. Number six, you are a child of God. Romans 8, verse 16 says, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Number seven, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Paul says in Ephesians 1, verses 19 through 20, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Declare these scriptures, memorize them, pronounce them daily over your life. Take back the territory of your mind that the enemy has stolen from you. Could come out and make room for only Jesus and the promises of God. That, my friends, is taking every thought captive to Christ. You are loved. You are valued. You are made in his image. His victory is your victory. You are a child of God and commissioned by him, and that is all that matters. Think about things that are noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. If you hear something and aren't sure where it is coming from, use the word of God as the measure of its validity. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. His word never changes and it never returns void. If he said it, he will do it. If he said it, it is done. Everything else, throw it out. Commit today to live in step with God, his spirit, and the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. So, just as a recap, there are three ways that we can experience resurrection power in our lives. It's not just limited to these three, but these are the three that I wanted to discuss with you today. 
First, the resurrection power of God creates a way when there seems to be no way. However, the ultimate goal of resurrection is restoration. Second, resurrection power brings about spiritual freedom. And third, resurrection power equips us to win the battle of our minds. I pray that you were encouraged today by our discussion, that you would live boldly, sharing in the death and resurrection of Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your time and for your presence. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for your promises. Lord, I thank you for your death upon a cross that made way for our resurrection, both spiritually and physically. I pray, Lord, that as we walk forward in our life, that we would cling to your word, that we would cling to your promises. Lord, that we would embrace and cling to the resurrection power, this explosion of grace and love and resurrection and redemption in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would use us as vessels of your resurrection power to those around us as well. Lord, we thank you that you simply call us your children and you commission us to do even greater things than you did. So, Father, we embrace the call. We embrace the death. We embrace the suffering. We embrace the resurrection power of your Holy Spirit. Father, move in with and through us today. May we be beacons of your power, your grace, and your love. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Taste and See podcast. We hope that you are encouraged and empowered by our conversation today. For future and past episodes, please follow us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Taste and See podcast. Now go, live for the kingdom, and always remember that the Lord is good.